The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Forums Podcast, presented by Phil Hinton. Hello and welcome to December's Home Cinema Podcast. Coming up, we look at the JVC X30 and Sim2 Nero 3D projectors, we review the Ellipson Planet L speakers and Virgin TiVo box, plus we look forward to what we're likely to see at next month's CES show. And joining me for the Home Cinema Podcast this December is uh, Mark Hodgkinson, Steve Withers and Russell Williams. Good evening, guys. Evening, Phil. Evening, Phil. Evening, Phil. So it's uh, projector season. It has been for the last two months. We've been really, really busy with projector reviews at the minute. Steve, I've actually got three to do at this moment in time, but you've just completed our exclusive JVC DLA X30 review. So what was the final scores on the doors with that one? Well, Phil, it's um, it's interesting because obviously we got a quick look at them a couple of months ago, back in October, I think. And um, and this is my first chance to really sort of sit down with it. And oh, the obvious question you're going to ask is, how different is it from from the X3? Because they do look, obviously they look identical because there's a sort of two-year cycle with um, JVC's uh, chassis, but um, the specs also look very similar. So I I guess the best way to approach it is to sort of differentiate the two or talk about how they differentiate each other. So uh, the first obvious difference between the X3 and the X30 is that the X30 doesn't have the motorized lens cover cover that uh, is on the X3 and and also on the X70 and X90. Uh, That's obviously just a cost-saving thing. Uh, And to be honest, you know, take it or leave it i mean some people would say that that's something that could possibly go wrong at some point so maybe it's better off without it the other major difference in terms of cosmetics is that it's uh not gloss it's it's a matte black well it's either matte white or matte black depending on which one you buy um again you could say that a, a matte black um uh, projector in a, in a dark room so is a good idea in fact having something reflective isn't a good idea so once again uh, nothing major there in terms of the connections actually it's slightly better um the neither of them have a vga connector but Previously, only the X7 and X9 had a, a LAN cable socket, which uh, they've now put onto onto the X30 as well, which is for system control along with an RS232 connector. So that's another thing. And the major thing they've added that wasn't on the previous on the X3 is obviously lens memory, which is something that uh, Panasonic have been doing for quite a long time, and we've been asking JVC to put on their projectors for some time as well, and they finally have. And, and that's a nice added feature, particularly if you're someone who's got a scope screen and you want to just move between 2.35 to 1 and 1.85 to 1 without having to do the lens and shift uh, zoom and shift yourself so that's a nice feature to have in terms of performance i have to say that 2d performance for my money was almost identical uh, if not identical to the x3 the only slight difference is that the out of the box color gamut was uh, uh more accurate on the slightly more accurate on the on the x30 so yes it doesn't have a cms as the x3 doesn't um, but to be fair, the um, standard color gamut setting is pretty close to Rec. 709. So, um, you know, and, and you can get a, a, an absolutely perfect uh, grayscale. The grayscale performance actually out of the box is pretty good. And after calibration was absolutely superb reference, basically, on the uh, on the um, on the X30. So between those two, it's, it's a pretty accurate image. Um, and once again, as with JVC, of course, the blacks are superb. Um, the, uh, the the image has got a lovely film-like quality to it. Uh, it really looked good. I mean, so no, no question that although it uh, although you could say yes, the X30 looks exactly like the X3 in terms of 2D performance. Um, the X3 was great and 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 a fantastic projector. So that's that's no bad thing. It's still 
in my opinion, the best looking 2D in its in its price range. Uh, in terms of 3D, uh, for my eyes, and there's some debate about this in the threads, but for my eyes, uh, I thought the 3D was slightly better on the X30 to, compared to my X3. Um, you know, it's been a year since they've come out, and 3D performance has definitely improved in a year. Uh, and I thought there was less crosstalk than I'd seen on my X3. Also, the X3 tends to need about half an hour to warm up before you use it. Um, so, so that was my opinion. The glasses, though, they've they've, they've got new glasses. Um, JVC have the, the previous glasses on the X3 were basically just expands, expand X103s badged with JVC. Uh, these are actually JVC glasses. They've completely redesigned them. They're much lighter, but uh, conversely, they're also a lot smaller. Uh, and I found them actually quite difficult to fit over regular glasses and the, and the lenses are a bit small in terms of you know giving a wide field of view so i wasn't uh, completely in love with the uh, the new glass design i actually preferred the older glasses even though they were a bit on the heavy side i think they're just all round better 3d glasses but the 3d performance was excellent you know i watched a, a bunch of films and i have to say obviously the fact it's got a new bulb to be fair is a factor because it's brighter um but uh, I, I thought the 3d was absolutely superb on it uh, I, I mean whether it's better than uh, well Obviously, I couldn't do a direct comparison to uh, to the Panasonic, for example, or the Sony, both of which you reviewed. But 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 uh, certainly, having seen them in action, I, I thought it was at least on a par with those. Um, so overall, overall, a fantastic uh, budget projector. I mean, build quality superb. You know, the feature uh, set is excellent, and uh, and the pictures are fantastic. So you know, and it's it's retailing for less than three thousand pounds, which is a staggering price point when you consider you also get two pairs of glasses and an emitter. So all all in all, uh, you know, it's certainly something you should have on your on your list if you're looking to buy right now. Definitely, uh, you, you should give it a demo. If you're an X3 owner and do you think you should upgrade, I'd probably be more likely just to buy a, buy a new bulb, to be honest. But uh, certainly in terms of uh, people looking to buy a new projector, uh, you, you should definitely give the X30 a, a demo. Uh, highly recommended in, in the review. Now, you said you watched a, a bunch of 3D films. Are you not sick of watching the same 3D films? Well, uh, <laughs> actually, I, I, I've got a few, you know, quite a few 3D films. I've got about 50. So uh, I do have a bit of choice. Um, I watched Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides on it. And I have to say, it was absolutely spectacular. Some of the best 3D I've ever seen. I mean, I'm not talking about just the projector. I'm talking about the film itself. Had fantastic 3D in it. Really well, really good live action 3D. And 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 the X30 presented it brilliantly with almost no crosstalk and uh, really impressive. But yeah, you're right, Phil. There is a limited choice of, uh, and a lot of them aren't very good. <laughs> so so sometimes you are you are using similar content. But um, yeah, uh, there's also some content that's I'd say problematic. Despicable Me, I think, is is uh, a, a 3D Blu-ray that's uh, quite well known for having a fair bit of crosstalk on some projectors, certainly. Uh, and there was a bit on on the X X30, to be fair, but less so than I'd seen when I'd watched the same stuff on my X3. So uh, you know, it's uh, it was a good all-round performer, and uh, and for that price, an absolute bargain. No. That's 500 quid cheaper this year around, and yep. all they've dropped, or all they seem to have dropped, is the uh, motorised lens sled. Yeah, as far as I can tell, Phil, that's exactly what they've done. They dropped the motorised lens sled, they've added lens memory and a few other things. Uh, there's, a, there's a 3D menu now as well, um, which wasn't uh, wasn't on the X3. Um, so so you've got to say that, that for, for a price of less than £3,000, uh, and I think some dealers have been doing them for £2,800, that's absolutely spectacular value. Uh, really is. I mean, it's a competitive market out there right now, isn't it? I mean, between Sony, Panasonic, Epson, JVC, Optoma, I mean, it really is, uh, you know, if you're looking to buy a 3D projector, there's no better time than right now. Well, you see, I would argue the point that you're only going to use the uh, 
3D 1% at the time. So basically it comes down to 2D performance for the vast majority of people. And uh, certainly from what I've seen of uh, all of that price range, uh, the JVC, you just can't beat it for 2D. No, I, I totally agree, Phil. It's a valid point. I mean, like I said, I've got 50 Blu-ray, 3D Blu-rays. I've got hundreds of 2D Blu-rays and thousands of DVDs. So you're absolutely right. The, the 99% of the content you're going to be watching is going to be in 2D. Uh, and you're absolutely right. As far as 2D performance goes, I don't think there's anything to touch the um, the X30 in that price range or even above that price range in some cases. Okay, so let's move about above that price range. You've been looking at the Nero 3D2, which is from Sim2. It costs uh, 15 grand, is it? 16 grand. <laughs> Six, 16 grand. Okay, so let's kick off 2D compared uh, with the yeah, X30. Yeah, well, actually, that, now that's a valid that's a very interesting question because we're talking about a, a £16,000 projector compared to a sub three grand projector. Um, I would say, in all honesty, uh, obviously DLP has certain strengths compared to DILA. And definitely motion handling is one of them. I think uh, motion, things like camera pans and movement within the frame in, on a DLP projector do look nicer. They're more film-like than, than, than there's a certain amount of smearing that goes on with DILA. But in terms of the overall image quality and particularly the back levels, uh, I, I would go for the JVC. Uh, I, I definitely preferred that. So you know, but that—that's. That, I think that's partly an inherent weakness in DLP itself. But uh, but yeah, as, as I say, as you've already pointed out, Phil, the performance of the JVCs—they uh, punch well above their price range. Uh, even the X30, but certainly when you talk about the X70 and X90, those are you know, stellar images. And um, and even a sixteen thousand pound sim, you know, will struggle to compete at two D performance with. Uh, with the with the JVCs now, when it comes to 3D, that's a different story. Uh, I, I think it's partly because of the refresh rates on DLP, the 3D performance of the Nero and also the Loomis that we reviewed back in in the summer, absolutely reference. I mean, zero crosstalk, really bright images, fantastic 3D performance. Yeah, I watched uh, TT 3D closer to the edge, uh, which is about the Isle of Man TT race, obviously. Uh, and honestly, you felt like you were on those bikes that the 3D was so impressive with the Nero. Um, really, really good 3D from that projector. Uh, uh, but as you've already pointed out, Phil, that's a minimal amount of content. Um, so you, you might be looking more at 2D as your deciding factor. It's a great projector, um, aside from the price, perhaps, which, which you know, it's 16,000. Obviously, it's a lot less than the 30,000 that they would charge for the three-chip um, 3DS. But uh, the Nero is a single-chip DLP projector. So clearly, if you're somebody who suffers a bit from um, rainbows, it might not be the projector for you. Uh, although I have noticed, and I think maybe you've noticed this as well, Phil, that uh, in 3D, I never see rainbows. It's only in 2D. So I'm not sure whether that's something to do with the glasses or, or the refresh rate. I don't know why. But... Uh, but certainly I haven't seen any rainbows in 3D, although there are occasional rainbows in 2D, even on an expensive projector like, like the Nero 2. Now, the one I had for review is the Nero 3D 2. There's actually currently three models, a Nero 3D 1, which is 1600 lumens, a Nero 3D 2, which is 2000 lumens, and the Nero 3D HB, which I assume stands for high brightness, uh, which is 3000 lumens. There will also be um, a Nero 3D235 coming out early next year, which will be a scope ratio, uh, it will be basically a scope, native scope projector um, for 3D. So that'll be interesting. Now, I guess we've got to be fair at the same two here, but when you quote lumens there, Steve, you're quoting 2000 lumens, you actually get that um, yeah. from, from the same two, not like the JVC, which. You know, going from past experience, you're lucky to get about eight or nine hundred lumens. Yeah, the the the, the, um, the X30 is rated at one thousand three hundred, but you won't get that in a calibrated mode. Uh, you'll get yeah, maybe eight nine hundred when the bulb's new. 
Uh, whereas, as you point out with Sim, when they say 2000 lumens, they mean it. Um, it was really bright. I mean, luckily there's a control for the power. You can go from between 230 to 280 watts on the bulb and also low, also reduce the size of the iris um, because, you know, initially it's probably too bright and, and you, you want to control it. Um, but when it comes to 3D performance particularly, that added oomph is, is, is vital. Um, you know, when you've got a really bright image in 3D, it makes a hell of a difference. And of course, uh, obviously, this the Nero is a custom install projector. So 2,000 lumens, you're talking uh, up to 4-meter, 5-meter screen, uh, yeah, and, yeah, and you still get good brightness, yeah. whereas the JVC just 120 inches, and it starts struggling. Absolutely. Yeah, that's true, Phil. I mean, obviously, you know, this is where the difference in price you know, uh, comes into play. Um, you, you, when you're looking at the difference of two, three thousand pounds to sixteen, sixteen thousand pounds, you're thinking, well, why is it so much, much more expensive? You've got the, the added lumens, you've got the quality of the glass and the lens, uh, you know, the build quality. Not that there's, not that the JVCs are bad build quality because they aren't; they're, they're superb build quality. But um, you know that you are paying for additional things, and, and people often forget how important the optics are in, in, a, in a projector and how expensive good quality lenses actually are. Um, and obviously, with something like the, the Sim Two, you're, that's what you're paying for. Uh, and the added brightness, and, and you could use that projector on a, on a relatively large screen uh, quite comfortably, whereas you would struggle with something like the X30. The other thing that's probably worth mentioning, and it is a very valid point, is whilst you could, uh, you know, the thing about the X30 is whilst it may not be that bright compared to the SIM, um, you know, the, the black levels are so excellent, you know, that it's got a lot of fantastic dynamic range that you can use that in a pitch black room. That where the SIM could come into play is with the added lumens and the really bright image. You can use that in a, in a less than perfect environment, perhaps a room with uh, light coloured walls or perhaps a wooden floor or something like that where it's reflective. The, the SIM would be able to you know, hold its own in terms of brightness and black levels within a room like that uh, far more than, than something like the X30 could. Um, you know, and once again, when you're looking at sort of custom installations and uh, you know, always having to make compromises in terms of someone's viewing environment, that kind of projector could be the best solution. It's a good point you raise because uh, obviously the, the JVC's strong point is its dynamic range and its black levels. However, uh, if you put the Panasonic, the JVC, uh, the Sony, all, all same price level basically into uh, a room with white walls, white ceiling uh, and a uh, 100-inch screen, that's when you, you lose the plus points of the JVC and it becomes a really level playing field then because because of the washout. Yeah, yes, true. I mean, I, I would probably suggest that in, in a room with white walls and ceiling, you, you struggle to tell the difference between the black levels of, of those three projectors. And in fact, if anything, that's when you start looking at things like the Optima, which is a bit cheaper, but quite bright, uh, DLP projectors like that, could, could come into their own in that kind of environment because whilst their blacks aren't great, the added added punch from the from the brighter image might, might actually be better than than, than a projector with, na- with really excellent native blacks. Steve, it's uh, highly recommended JVC X30 3D DLA projector. Uh, people can go and read it on the forums. It's abforums.com forward slash reviews. It's the latest review in the non-TV reviews section. The question I've got to ask you is: You've got an X3. Are you going up grid to the X30? Uh, no, I won't be. As, as I said, the differences are minimal. Um, 2D performance, so far as I can tell, is pretty much identical. Uh, the, the easiest upgrade, really, would be just to buy a new bulb, which is probably what I'll end up doing. And, uh, Steve, before we leave, uh, Sim 2 Nero 3D2, the review uh, at the time of recording is still to go up, but um, what did you give that? Given that, I highly recommend it as well, Phil. Um, as I said, reference quality 3D performance uh, and a very good 2D performance, so, yeah, highly recommend it. If, you, you know, if you've got £16,000 to spend, give it a demo. Well, I guess the, the thing to say there is if you've got a four-meter screen, uh, oh, yeah, then oh, yeah. you, you've only got the one choice. You haven't got a lot <laughs> a of choice. screen and white walls, definitely give it a demo. <laughs> yeah, okay. So moving on, uh, Russell, 
Uh, you've had some interesting speakers uh, in for review recently. And I, I've got to say, when I saw the photograph on the review page there in the coming soon section, I thought you were reviewing Anthony Gallows, but uh, I guess I'm completely wrong on that. Yes, you are indeed completely wrong. Um, it, but the only thing they share is a, their, their spherical um, shape. In fact, when I first saw a picture of them, I thought, oh, great, another testicle-sized loudspeaker. But, of course, once you actually get them in the room, they are a 12-inch sphere. They're, they're, they're bigger than a football. Um, um, indeed, it's a, it's, a, it's a shape that Ellipson were using sort of back in, back in the 50s and 60s, long before Anthony Gallo or anybody like that were, were even a twinkling, twinkling the eye of anybody. Um, it is ostensibly just a, um, a coaxial two-way stand-mount loudspeaker. Um, in that in that regard, I suppose they're, they're not actually that unusual. But the, um, when you start looking into the details, they're they're, they're definitely they're definitely how can I can say they play their own furrow if you like. Um, they're not quite like anything else I've I've played with in a wee while. Um, if you start with the cabinet, and it's the obvious one, um, it's spherical. Um, it's made from sort of like a, I think a glass fiber reinforced composite. Um, so it's actually although it's actually quite thin, it's incredibly strong and also very very inert. Um, you, even when you've got them playing full chat, you don't get much vibration through the cabinet. Um, you obviously can't veneer the things like a normal speaker, so they're painted. I mean, they, they sent me the red ones. There's a white and a black, which will probably look a little bit less um, obvious in your front room. Although I've got to say, now I've had the red in here a while, and the number of people who have seen them and commented, I think I'd probably actually buy them in the red. You can't hide the thing, so they might as well look like a, a special feature. And they look absolutely gorgeous. I can't... In the photos, I, I, you know, I try to try to emphasize you know that how good the finish on them and how tight it is but they are absolutely pin sharp when you see them in real life trying to get the grill off the the speaker is virtually impossible unless you've got at least a tiny bit of fingernail because it's the fit is just oh it's absolutely superb the mesh grill itself again um i don't it's not something i normally like to see on a speaker metal grills tend to sort of add a bit of harshness and zing to the sound but this one proved actually quite um quite uh, what's the word I'm looking for benign um you really I really couldn't tell much difference with it on or off diving behind it six inch coaxial two-way driver anybody who's seen kefs of recent years or um some of the sayas equipped speakers that have got similar units doesn't look anything particularly out of the ordinary it's just a little treated paper cone uh, one inch 25 mil um soft dome tweeter in the middle nothing particularly outrageous to look at um if, if nicely made um what's different about this one is the way that they have really pushed the the mid range, well, sorry, the mid bass driver quite high. It's about three point. I'm trying to remember. It was three point eight kilohertz. I think the um the crossovers at. So you really have got most of the vocal range covered by one driver. The interference and the and the phase shifts of the crossover are pushed out the way, and it makes a. Um, uh, a speaker that's in to be able to describe really it, it communicates emotion if that doesn't sound a bit airy fairy extremely well um it, it's um, it's very very clear and crisp with dialogue um and people singing equally are just you know their enunciation and the, the inflection they put in things is, is just comes comes through very very clearly indeed and it just makes them an absolutely fascinating little speaker to listen to the treble unit itself is 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 good enough um, it's clean enough. Doesn't make any nasty zings or tings or add any nasty sibilance to anything. Um, um, it's if it does have a fault, it's that a sphere can be quite large, but compared to a box speaker, it's actually quite small for the real estate it takes up. So they're not they're not a bass monster. 
Um, you know, they really do do down to about 50 hertz in room, and that's your lot. So, you know, your base heads may want to go and look elsewhere, but equally, if you run them in tandem with a subwoofer and Ellipson have now released a, a matching sort of cylindrical um, subwoofer, then um, that covers the bottom, that'll cover the bottom octaves quite adequately. Um, it's... <laughs> I don't, there's just every little detail of them seems, yeah, you know, it, it, it just seemed well thought through. You know, they just done things slightly differently. Push that driver a bit higher, slightly steeper crossover slope. The stands, um, God, the, the, the range of stands you can get for the thing are quite remarkable. There is almost nothing you can't bolt it to or mount it on in some way. In fact, I believe if I was right in hearing what the, the, the wee man said when he dropped them off, was they are the first speaker in X hundred years that Harrods have allowed to be hung from their ceiling. How about that for a fact? Presumably, Russell, given, given the shape, they use specialised stands. You can't just pop them on a bespoke stand. You have to get something. No, no well, they... Uh, sorry, I, I should have mentioned, as standard out of the box, what they come with is... A, and I, you know, I suddenly realised after this I published a rule, I forgot to take a picture of the thing, but you can see it on their website. There, there's, like a, there's a machined aluminium ring. With, a, with an inset rubber ring at the bottom and an uh, inset rubber ring at the top, you can put that on top of a normal loudspeaker stand, and then oh, the right, speaker okay. then just sits in it, and you can you can you know you can orientate it to point in whatever direction you want, you know, vertically upwards if you want in all practical terms. Um, but they do have their own dedicated stands now. Dedicated stands, because they are dedicated by their very nature, tend to be quite expensive things. It's not like a a typical you know single pillar or four pillar um, hi-fi stand where you can get a you know you can get something that looks like a chunk of bridge for about ninety quid and takes two people to lift. Um, with bespoke stands, because the volumes are smaller and they're only for that speaker, you tend to expect them to be expensive. I have to say these were two, I think, hundred ninety nine, two hundred pounds, you know, give or take a pound, for the dedicated stand. But that's not actually bad in the scheme of things. That's a £200 stand for a 600 quid loudspeaker. Um, we saw the Kef ones recently. I think they, they were more money for a cheaper, for effectively a cheaper loudspeaker. Uh, and they do weigh a ton as well. There's an enormous slab of iron in the bottom to anchor them to the floor. So although the pictures look, make them look quite top heavy, believe me, they're not. All that weight is right low down on the floor. And you can tip them to alarming angles before they start to look, uh, yeah, even, like they're, even like they're likely to tip. Um, and what you were reviewing was a stereo pair, yeah? Yeah, just a stereo pair. Um, I did try and angle for um, uh, for, for five, but you know, you try and push your luck if you can, don't you? Um, but it was a, again. I actually wish now even more that I had got five, um, because again, because this vocal intelligibility thing. I mean, I found as I did for you know for the time that I was reviewing them, actually, just do everything in stereo. I forgot I forwent my surround sound speakers and everything. Um, didn't forgo the subwoofers, obviously. I wasn't going you know, to sacrifice <laughs> humanity itself for the process of uh, reviewing loudspeakers. But um, it, um, uh, but the, you know, just listening to speech and, and stuff off TV and watching films and whatnot, um, it just you know, they just placed a rock-solid, intelligible image centre of the field. And even during noisy bits of films, and you know, people are running around and shooting each other and dropping bombs on each other's heads and God knows what, you know, everything just came through absolutely crystal clear with them. I think you know, they would be absolutely superb. You buy five of these, I mean, 300 quid a speaker is not, not, you know, not a hill of huge beans in this day and age. Um, five of these, again, because you would have subwoofers covering the bottom end, would be absolutely superb uh, as a set. I can, you know, I can feel pretty confident in saying that, even though I haven't had five of them in here. Russell, in, in terms of tonal balance, how would how would you describe the sound? I mean, I'm I'm thinking along the lines: are they uh, quite forward, like 
like say uh, M&K or are, are they a bit more laid back and a bit more coloured? I don't think I'd go quite so far as to say they were Ford because that tends to imply that they really do thrust a sort of bit of upper mid information at you to really make you know sound sparkle and, and, and tinkle in the background. They do have a once you get above about seven kilohertz or so, they do have a sort of a, a gently rising treble, which tends to make them sound and feel quite light and airy. And that's probably emphasised by the slight lack of bottom end. Um, but they're not they're not overtly bright or in your face. You know, if you if you get a recording that is possibly on the harsh side, you know, sort of a, a late 80s sort of conversion from LP to CD or something like that, they don't they don't tear your ears off through being overtly bright. You know, if you listen to a lot of jazz or anything like that, like I've been trying to do more more lately, um, they're, they're they're very very nice at um, you know picking out sort of brushed cymbal work and and things like that in the background. It, it makes them quite almost slightly monitorish, actually, because they really are very good at picking out small details. In fact, Ellipse on themselves when they were first formed back in the fifties, they they were a monitor company. They um, they produced all the the. The, the standard loudspeakers for the ORTF, which was back then, was the the, the French equivalent of the BBC. Um, so that yeah, they've, they've been doing this a while, and they clearly they go for that sort of more explicit sort of detail rather than a warm pipe and slippers and you know, yeah, that, that's, cuddle up cuddle up on the sofa in your slippers with a pipe in your mouth sort of thing. Yeah, yeah that's that's what I was trying to get at there. Uh, so so Russell, I mean they are an unusual shape. So in terms of uh, soundstage and, and obviously in terms of um, stereo imaging, how did you get on with them? The soundstage is remarkably um, free of the box. You, you can't ever really sit there and sort of like focus on a speaker and make your mind say that the sound is coming from that speaker. They just position everything very, very nicely between them. Um, I would Probably because they're a little bit bass light, you do tend to push them slightly closer to a wall in order just to hold the bottom end up a bit. And whether that's sort of like a, I don't know, um, uh, I was going to say a psychoacoustic effect, you, because you see them closer to a wall, you, 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 your brain tells you there's less depth to the image, or whether it actually is because the wall's closer and the background reflections swamp the image depth a bit. Um, they're not possibly the deepest soundstage speaker. Um, I've ever come across, but um, you know, in terms of precision of imaging, you know, where the performers are standing relative to each other across the soundstage, that they image absolutely fantastically, which is what you should really expect a speaker with no sharp corners to do, especially as it's a coaxial one as well. It really should, you know, act like a real focused beam, a crossed beam of information to place people exactly where they should be. And again, because they don't have this, uh, the, you know, this overtly engineered image to project mid-range detail into your lap, people sit back sort of broadly along the plane of the speakers. You don't suddenly find there's one performer who's apparently sitting, you know, standing two feet in front of you, while everybody else is way back at the back of the soundstage. It all just sounds nicely proportioned. Everything sounds about the right sort of size relative to each other. You um, you mentioned their uh, Gallic rather than Gallo origins. Uh, where, where can you oh, buy well them? Well done. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, that's a rap, wasn't it? Oh yeah, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> Where can you buy them from? <laughs> At hi-fi shops. Uh, so they're, they're generally available. I think I believe. Um, I believe uh, they've got sort of one or two sort of like. Yeah, you know, I mentioned Harrods have got them, for instance. But then again, they've got a surprising amount of stuff if you ever walk in there. Um, I think they've done a deal. They're now coming through people like Seven Oaks. Um, and possibly therefore audio tiers that's all the same there's um there's a few other sort of more boutique or sort of independent dealers as well but they're actually you know you can actually find them you should actually now be able to find them in most um um you know fairly mainstream um hi-fi shops because um, yeah, i'd never uh, heard of them until i read your review 
No, no. Well, I'd never heard of them until I was told I was getting a pair. Um, <laughs> it just goes to show. But it just goes to show how much stuff there is out there. Really, you know, you, you see the same names crop up again and again. You tend to assume that everything in the world is perhaps made by four or five manufacturers in Britain, plus a couple of Yanks and Canadians who managed to waft their way across this way from time to time. But it's um. Yeah, the more I looked into them, I say they've been around for years. They they don't just do speakers like this. I mean, predictably enough, there's a there's a lot of spherical influence going on things. You look on their website, there's a thing that looks like a BMW 801, um, you know, which is the one with the big sphere with the mid-range driver in it, and then the little tweeter on top. And you take a look at it, and then you sort of take another look at it, and you think, blimey, actually, they were doing that in 1966. Um, and they've also got regular little square um, compact monitor speakers, um, which I've yet to hear. Um, these are anything to go by they're going to be worth searching out and having a listen to but um they've been around a long time they're not some new startup who's going to come along launch a speaker and disappear again that's for sure um your money would be more than averagely safe with a pair of these did you say that they were 300 pound a pair or no well no they work at 300 quid each they're 600 quid a pair okay, um, can you buy the uh, one on its own as well to use as a center speaker don't definitively know that but they come packed individually in boxes Right in their own individual box, so there's absolutely no, there's you know every, everything's duplicated. You don't get one box which has got all the instructions in. Every, the, all the boxes come with all the same stuff in it. So I don't see any reason at all why you couldn't buy three, four, five, six, seven, whatever you wanted. Now, Russell, speaking about the price, I mean you're the only reviewer I know that that sticks a Best Buy badge on uh, something costing many thousands of pounds. So, um, <laughs> what badge did he give these? What badge did I give them? Um, well, yeah, yeah, um, a, a, a solid. A solid Best Buy, which you know, in speaker terms, I mean, as as ever, because these things tend to be, how shall I say, a slightly more subjective uh, rather than objective choice. You've got to go and hear them with your own ears. I'd say these are definitely, definitely worth searching out if you've got a small room, you're not into sort of like mega bass dubstep sort of whatever music. Um, if you like, particularly like your female vocal and things like that, give them a listen. If you like to use a subwoofer with your loudspeakers, you're not going to miss the bottom end give them a listen um they're a really easy to use fantastically made little speaker um that, yeah it'd be, it'd be rude not to give them a best buy really so thanks very much for that review russell um they certainly look interesting and from what you said they sound interesting so if you want to read that review it's up on the forums now avforums.com forward slash reviews and we're going to move over to mark now mark's had uh, a piece of equipment for the last six months uh, which we're still waiting on the review for are, are we going to get the review this month mark yeah, promise, promise. It's, it's making very good progress this week. Okay, so uh, you've been looking at the new uh, Virgin TiVo, so give us your thoughts. Yeah, uh, maybe I should start by introducing it for the uh, for those that don't know what it is, uh, for those that don't watch television, obviously, because of the blanket advertising coverage they're giving it at the moment. It's um, Virgin's three-tuner, high-def-capable personal video recorder. Uh, it's a terabyte of storage. Uh, and although the brand isn't that well known in the UK, it's a massive install base in the US, uh, where over here it's established in the language to Sky Plus something. In the States, it's coming to here, I'll, I'll TiVo it. And I must say, after a bit of a shaky start where I found the interface a bit clunky, and like you're being spoon-fed your entertainment, I've really warmed to its, uh, to its charms. And I'm going to find it hard to go back to anything else, to be quite honest. I think a part of that is due to the software needing time to track your viewing habits making a, and record appropriate suggestions based on that. There's also an awful lot of options in the menus that take time to get used to. And it, coming from a, a V Plus or a Sky, you, you might find it a bit of a shock that everything takes a click or two longer to achieve. But once you're into the interface, you, you really can appreciate its charms. Presentation of the menus is good. They're all um, bright and clear. The EPG, which is obviously all important with the PVR, is a cinch to view and navigate around. 
Um, obviously, a lot of the advertising is centered on the thumbs up and thumbs down buttons on the remote control that act like a, a quick rating tool for programs. Uh, each can be given a rating between one and three. So I'll, I'll give you, I'll try and give you an example um, of how it works. So um, say you gave uh, three thumbs up to the X Factor, God forbid, it would record or suggest all X Factor related programming and probably just about every reality show on TV. So you you Which find your hard drive. Most of everything on TV. Most of everything, yeah. So your hard drive would be full up within a week <laughs> if you were to do that. A two would notch it down a bit so it would refine it to say talent show programs and, and programs with X Factor in the title and, a, and just a single thumbs up. Uh, it works the same. Um, it, it would just be, sorry. It would just record programs with X Factor in the title. And the thumbs down works the same, but in, in a negative vein. Um, not quite as useful as the thumbs up, to be honest, because one thumbs down generally does it. But um, it's slightly disappointing. I think that three thumbs down doesn't get rid of uh, any trace of the programs you hate from the EPG. But it's uh, you know it, it it seems to work quite nicely. The tracking um, after you know after you've had it a few weeks. Uh, it does really work well, and I often find things that I would have liked to have watched but was unable to just um, recorded for me in the suggestions folder. There's a nice uh, flash-based graphical ticker that runs across the top of the menus that also gives you some more suggested material um, that you can explore further through the TiVo database for things like cast director or synopsis uh, of the show. You can also set your obviously your series records and records from there, or or even uh, initiate a YouTube search for related content. Use other recording options. You can set wish lists using actor, director, title, category, keyword, and from there you can either just um, view upcoming matches or set them to auto record. I set a number of these obviously to test it out, and and it, uh, it seems to work very effectively indeed. You can also modify the wish lists uh, to exclude a term from a search or make a term optional in a search. So um, to give you another example, again, a, a hard drive filling one would be to uh, set a keyword search on football. Um, you could then perhaps exclude the words Italian or Scottish. No, no offense, Phil, but then it won't pick up all the, uh, all the stuff on ESPN. Uh, so you, you get the idea on that. Added to that, there's a search facility that, you can, um, that can be used with program title or a person's name. And obviously from there, you can also set the recordings or explore a program's information a little bit more or get similar suggestions based on that um, or, or even create a wish list from that. And if that's not enough, there's absolutely tons of catch-up programming on offer. Uh, obviously, the ubiquitous BBC iPlayer is there, uh, the ITV NetPlayer 4 on demand, Demand 5, as well as um, a lot of the Virgin own content and some of the kids' channels. So you're never going to be short of something to watch. There's even some 3D there for Russell. I know, I know he loves it, um, but I'm I, I'm a bit too tight to pay for the uh, post-converted side-by-side nonsense that's on there. Say, to be honest, I was going to say somebody stopped me. <laughs> <laughs> but the broadcast stuff that's been that's been on looks good. Um, Wimbledon obviously probably had the most extensive coverage, and of course we've got uh, the strictly come dancing final to look forward to this weekend. In inverted commas. Yeah, I must say the HD of that generally looks pretty good as well. I mean, I'm forced to watch it, obviously, against my will, but the, the HD generally looks pretty good at that. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see the uh, the 3D and, and the new format they're trying out. Another th- another thing that I didn't... It, it took me a while to realise you could do this, but you can skip back through the, the PG um, back in time. You normally, you, you normally, if you've gone past a, a designated time, you can't go back and see, see what was on. But with the TV, you can, so you can skip back and see what you've missed. And there's an indicator... As to whether you can get it through a catch-up service, so um, or even or even it'll go to YouTube for you. Um, it's 
it's not that um, streamlined a, a, a feature at the minute, but I think the plan is that you'll say you've missed, uh, you were out and you missed, I don't know, Coronation Street, uh, and you can then press on, select the program, and it'll take you to the ITV player and then to the actual episode and just start playing it. So that that'll be quite a neat thing. And last but not least, there's the ability to set recordings from a smartphone or remotely from a PC. Believe it or not, even though I work from home, I've used that with web interface quite a lot. I'm too lazy to get up and walk to the telly. Of course, it's not perfect. Nothing is. But, um, you know, it's it's a very impressive bit of kit. Um, when we first got... There's been a software update, for those that don't know, in the last week or so. And a lot of the complaints were centered on the, on the quality of the... Uh, standard definition scaling and i have to admit it wasn't great although we can't run test patterns through it it was pretty obvious that it was it was fairly soft and blurry um but that's greatly improved since the update and is is on a par with the existing virgin boxes um but th- there is a little glitch in there um that's probably worth pointing out is as you set up the your video output options it, it will default to 720p as your best output to a 1080p television and with all broadcast HD delivered at 1080i, it's not an optimal an optimal combination with the unnecessary scaling and deinterlacing steps introduced. And it, it, it looks pretty poor at 720p on, on a 1080p telly. So we'd uh, certainly recommend members setting um, setting it to 1080i and, and, and leaving the 720p option uh, unticked if you have a 1080p TV. And maybe uh, it, to be fair, I've not got a 720p 1080i telly in the house to test it with, but I'd imagine. 1080i would be preferable over 720p for even HD ready sets. There's another problem. iPlayer's never been great through it. It's never been good as the existing V Plus service, a little bit more stuttery. And since the update, they've, um, they're bypassing the Virgin servers and going straight to the BBCs, which is great when it when it works and when it's not too busy because you you get access to a lot to about three times the content uh, going back a lot further. But unfortunately, when the networks get busy, it, it completely cripples it uh, and makes it kind of unusable. It's around tea time when you want to entertain the kids with it. Um, there's no red button type services at the moment either. So um, your digital teletext and all that kind of stuff isn't available. Although uh, I believe since the last update also, the framework's now there for providers to uh, to add it. So it's just a case of them developing it and get it onto the platform. And I think my only other real complaint is that the remote control the paint on the buttons is, is pretty flimsy, and even within six months, a lot of them have worn off. So if you haven't memorized the buttons, you could be in a bit of a trouble because all the key ones go within about three months. Uh, although, having memorized it myself, it gives me a certain amount of power over the family's viewing, which I quite like. Um, as for a verdict, as you know, I'm still writing it, but it will be there by the end of the week. It, I'm teetering between highly recommended or a reference. I mean, really, there's nothing else there, out there like this. It, it does so much more than a... I mean, it can really be called a personal video recorder rather probably what Sky Plus and Virgin and the rest is, is a digital video recorder because it does adapt to your preferences and habits. Um, so it's 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 teetering on the edge, but it's got a few flaws, so I've not quite decided yet. But and I can't resist it. It's, it's a massive thumbs up from me, guys. Uh, Coronation Street X Factor Strictly Come Dancing. I'm so glad I'm single. I don't... I don't yeah. well, Mark, <laughs> not, I was wondering, how does, it, how does it tailor viewing habits to more than one person? Well, it, it doesn't. It doesn't do it to it. Doesn't do yeah, it so it's every, everybody's in there putting their thumbs up and thumbs down. Can you thumbs down an entire channel? Because I, n- I never watch Channel f- uh, 5 or ITV, so can I just get rid of that? Yeah, that's what I was no, going to ask as well. Yeah. No, but you could just avoid them. Unfortunately, no, you, you don't have the facility like you do with certain certain other um, PVRs and, and set-top box type things where you can just delete a channel. 
that that's not there. But um, yeah, you, you, this, you know, you're never going to be short of anything to watch with it. I mean, uh, work, yeah. I work unusual hours, I guess, and I quite often knock off at half ten, quarter to eleven, and, and there's nothing on at that time. But I go into the suggestions folder, and there's, and there's always something there I want to watch without fail. So it's you know, it's great. Sounds like it pretty much does everything except watch the stuff for you. Yeah, and in the case of Strictly Come Dancing, Coronation Street, and X Factor, it, it'd be quite welcome to do that for. <laughs> now, Mark, did you have uh, did you have Sky before you got this in, or have you always I've had? had the packs. I've had Sky in the past. I've had V Plus box. Um, I've had about five or six freeview PVRs, um, including for listeners out there the Topfield five eight hundred, which was a, a pretty customizable unit itself, and was my previous PVR favourite. But this is uh, probably going to take the biscuit for me. I'd, I've got to say, I've spoken to a few mates that had Sky Plus and and gone to Virgin, and they've all said that in the first few weeks they didn't get and then after that it really started to make sense and then a month or two down the line they can't live without it i think yeah i think i'm exactly the same boat i'm exactly the same boat after a month i was thinking oh, you know it's nothing it's nothing that special i could get by with the v plus box i mean i still could to be fair but yeah i'm gonna find it hard to give it back in fact i don't think i'm going to just uh, speaking as a current v plus owner um you mentioned the remote control and, and the fact that some of the paint wears off the buttons but mm. the, the one thing for me that that really sinks the current v plus box is that has got to be the least intuitive remote control uh, well, I got, which one have you ever. got? I've got I've got two V plus remote controls. One of them's a lot better than the other. Get you. Um, it's the it's the fairly sort of um, it's sort of curved top and bottom, fairly straight black, but all the buttons feel exactly the same. You can yeah, in the yeah, dark the one differentiate yeah, cool. one button from another, especially with my sausage fingers. Um, you just can't differentiate. You have to you have to get a light on the damn thing, especially if you're watching a film or something like that, to actually see what you, you, you're yeah. doing. It's hideous. I mean, it's, I yeah, know that the Sky cool. Remote, let's face it, has sent the benchmark for you know easy to learn. Yeah, it's the pe- the peanut, as the Virgin call it. It's a great remote apart from the paint. It's it's um, it's it's shaped like a peanut in its shell, so it fits ergonomically into the hand, and all the buttons are exactly where they should be, and they've got a good good feedback. But it, it's just it's decent better paint. Um, you also mentioned dur- during the course of that um, uh, uh, about the the fact you could go back two weeks and and record. Um, I think it's a week. I think it's seven days. You can't record, but it'll tell you when catch up, uh, a catch up um, service is available. Right. Okay. But if if I if I recall correctly, because I did actually because I was waiting for a uh, uh, waiting for a review of this box to come out for some time. Indeed, um, <laughs> I popped into a Virgin's <laughs> shop and got sort of a brief demo from from the lad in there. I was going to say it was extremely helpful on the, on the scale of. Um, some shops you can walk into, but you, the the program guide you can also look forward two weeks. Yeah, that's right. Forward two weeks. Right. Okay. Because yeah, that struck me as it's one of those things, isn't it? You know, although, gonna, although that you know something's going to start in the second week of your holiday, and there's sort of all you can do about recording it. Well, you can set the, <laughs> you can set a wish list from there. You see, so you can set a wish list recording, and it'll record it for you. Just put the keynote, just put the name of something, and you want recording, and it'll pick it up automatically. Yeah. I find the need. I'm, I'm finding the less and less need to go into the EPG to set recording. They're just turning up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark, it, it is a bit of a shame um, that this service is limited to Virgin-only areas, uh, yeah, and, and, and other people are going to have to, you know, stick with Sky or whatever. But in terms of HD channels, I mean, the one reason I like Sky is that you get over fifty HD channels. I mean, how does the the Virgin service compare to that? Tough and mad, Phil. I think there's thirty-eight available. I think the ones that aren't available are, that you might miss are the the sports, the Sky Sports HD channels. I think there's only Sky Sports one and two available and, and sky sports news and not all the movies channels and not i think the big miss for me for sky would be the sky atlantic which looks great to me that's 
because it's my kind of programming and that's not available so yeah in terms of content sky is still king i mean and there's no doubt about that uh, and until virgin start producing more of their own content and, and paying you know more to the, the likes of the premier league and, and getting more sport then they're always going to be in that situation i think they're very much selling this on the on the technology rather than than anything else the, the technology is that much superior that it's going to make your experience better but of course content is king so he pays your money and takes your choice. I mean, just the way that I work, um, I, I don't watch much TV. I always tend to watch either what I've Sky Plus or what's yeah. on any time. But any time is a really restricted service on, on Sky. And uh, to get the Anytime Plus, you need to be a Sky Broadband customer and, and, and stuff like that, which seems to be a waste of money to me. But in terms of catch-up TV and TV on demand, I mean, what's the content like? Is it all SD it's or do you get... It's absolutely vast. You can... You, uh, I could go through. And, I almost went through and counted the A to Z, but I got bored of of, of what's available. It, it, there is tons available. If you can't find something to watch, to watch through the catch-up service, then you, you don't like anything. It's there is just masses available. Is it? Is that because the content's actually stored by Virgin it's and then streamed stored by to Virgin, your box? Yeah. So it's not, like, it's not like any yeah. time where essentially it just uses half of your hard drive up storing things you didn't want to see. That's right. Yeah, yeah, it's streamed, so when, you can you can just go and get you can just go and fetch it. And the thing that was used to normally about that was you sitting down listening to a very quiet piece of music, and then the hard drive would spin up in the background as it decided to download something. For <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and another good thing on, on that thing. on that is your, your suggestions folder doesn't take up doesn't show up taking up any of your hard drive space or all your hard drive. Even though I think in my suggestions folder now, I mean, there's all sorts of tosh in there that the kids the kids have got. Yeah, yeah, thumbs, blame thumbs the kids. Down button. <laughs> but, so there's all sorts of nonsense in there, but um, there's, I think there's 140 shows in there um, at the moment, and it doesn't it doesn't um, show up in the calculations for hard drive space available. So that's only stuff that you've set to record or wishlist recordings. Brilliant. So, so my mini me can have as much Peppa Pig as he wants, and it won't actually. Exactly, I, and I, yeah. I can completely, yeah, I can completely concur with that. That that uh, I've got, I think, the virtual entire canon of Peppa Pig on the TV at the moment. Excellent. So that's the TiVo from Virgin, uh, only available in Virgin areas. But like Mark says, uh, what, what is it? Your product of the year would it be? Oh, it's close. Oh, yeah. I guess it. Could, I guess it could be. You know, I love the thing. Interesting. So we're we're rapidly running out of time, but we're going to move things on uh, pretty quickly here. Now, uh, this is the December podcast. Uh, the next podcast that comes to you will be coming from Las Vegas because we're off to CES next month for the biggest consumer electronics show in the world uh, this is my fifth year going there uh, this will be Steve's second year That's and uh, this year Mark's also joining the team unfortunately he's having to stay in the UK but he's joining the team and he's going to be posting the latest news up to the forums on the 9th of January from the main press conferences um, now one of the things I wanted to mention on this podcast but we're running so short of time uh, we're just going to have to quickly go through it which was the VW1000 event which was held uh, in London, Steve, um, where we saw Sony's 4K projector. Now, the reason I mention that before we talk about CES is that um, we asked the question there of four members, would you rather have 3D or 4K? Um, and we were quite surprised that the answer that came back in nine out of the ten cases was they would go for 4K. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, given that this is an enthusiast, you know, these were the enthusiasts, AV4 members, the kind of people that you think, you know, might be interested in 3D, or at least the kind of people that manufacturers must be hoping were interested in 3D. Only one guy out of all the people we asked said he, he was he preferred to th- would be interested in 3D over 4K. Um, everyone was interested in 4K. I think 
you know, there's been a lot of debate about the future of 3D, and that that that's not a good sign. Yeah, I for one don't find that surprising at all. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, unfortunately, at this demo we were unable to show any native 4K because it's such a new technology. Um, there is no playback system at the minute. Although um, we did get an interesting press release from 20th Century Fox today, which hinted at a new technology for movies at CES, Steve. Um, yeah, not going to read too much. Between, <laughs> not going to read too much between the lines because we might get egg on our face, and it might be something completely the opposite. But um, it seems to be that things are moving 4K. So we're off to CES next month. Um, uh, I know that's the one thing I'm going to be looking for because I think the manufacturers have gotten to the point now where they realise that 3D, um, they're going to have to do it uh, on their TVs, but nobody's interested in it, so they need something else to sell us. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Last year at CES, it was all 3D and smart TVs. Um, hopefully this year, we're going to yeah, see... Still, it. There'll still be lots of that, surely. There's still, there'll there's be smart, lots of smart TVs. And, smart TVs. I think Google TV will be a big story coming out of there, I think. Yeah, there'll be a lot of smart TV stuff. I'm sure there'll be a few manufacturers to Toshiba probably trying to trying to push auto-stereoscopic uh, 3D TVs. You know, Phil and I have seen them. They don't work. Um, I think Toshiba were using face recognition software to tailor the 3d experience of the viewer well mark and i have both had toshiba tvs that doesn't work either um so I, i'm dubious on that one i'd love to see some more 4k um products um because obviously having seen the sony it, it looked great but but there was no 4k content um which is a real shame and clearly you know if you're going to have 4k um projectors and tvs you need some kind of delivery system and hopefully we'll see some kind of uh, at least clue about what might be down the pipe as far as that goes. But at the end of the day, it's a numbers game, isn't it? I mean, people like big numbers, and no one's interested in 3D, and 4K might be something they are interested in. I mean, as a mass market product as opposed to just a niche enthusiast market. I have not seen any 4K. I mean, how does 1080p look on it? On, on, on the 4K projector, 1080p? Yeah, that you've they, seen so far. It scaled up, obviously, and, and there was a fair bit of sharpening going on, I have to say. Uh, it looked very nice, but uh, better than a, but better than a native, good native 1080p projector. Well, you, you, you can't add, you can't add, you can't add what's not there. In the no, end. no. Um, and then, in fact, funny enough, they had the the thousand next to the HW30, and then they were blocking off the lenses and, and showing the same image with one and with the other. And I have to say, I thought the HW30 stood up pretty well. <laughs> Didn't you think, Phil? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it was what a tenth the price, and it yeah. was onto a four meter screen, and it, it, the the little machine. Uh, did a did a very good job. I, I've got to say the scaling. I was a little bit concerned uh, with one or two scenes where it did seem to blur some some fast movement. But in terms of detail, it can't add in what's not there. But the sharpening and so on, it didn't get in the way because it's a native panel, 4K panel. Um, uh, the artifacts, although they were there, they were they, they were not that obvious, Steve. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true, Phil. I mean, there was a little bit of ringing here and there, but on the whole, it, 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 I mean, I've got to say, when I first saw it, I was blown away. I thought, that looks amazing. And, and over time, you kind of, I think you, you kind of get used to it to a certain extent and then start getting more critical. But certainly, uh, yeah, it looked it looked very impressive. Uh, and I would have loved to have seen some native 4K content on it to see what that looked like. Unfortunately, um, as Phil said, there was none available at the time. It is also a 3D projector, although that didn't work either at the time. So we didn't see that in action. But um 
but definitely, you know, I, I'm really excited about CES and I'm really hoping we're going to see, because last year, to be honest, it was exciting for me as my first CES, but in terms of the actual products on launch, or being launched, it was very boring. Uh, hopefully this year we might see some, you know, some interesting new stuff. You know, one of the major downsides, Steve, is the fact that there's a lack of, of 4K content, although, you know, over the last year or so, there's been a lot of production uh, with new 4K cameras like the Red Epic and... Uh, the Sony version, which is a 4K camera, which is just about to hit the market. And obviously Sony Pictures are doing a lot of 4K stuff, which is why Sony have launched that product. Um, so that's that's one of the issues. Uh, the other issue is that 4K, isn't, it's not going to work on a 40-inch TV. It needs to be a big screen. Probably be too much for that. I, I think really 4K is either very large screen TV, 65-inch kind of sizes, or projectors. Um, with projectors, you know, you're talking, the, the potential is, is enormous. Um, it's just a question of, 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 as you said, Phil, delivering it to, to, to the consumer. That's the question. How are you going to deliver it to the consumer? Sorry, if, but, it, if it is something like a niche, I mean, projectors are, are niche, you know, aren't they really? Um, will, is that enough incentive for the content providers to get the content out there? I think the point, Mark, is that the manufacturers, they need to sell us something else because 3D just, it's been a major flop for them. I think that the manufacturers were somewhat spoiled by the phenomenal success of DVD and they're desperately trying to replicate that. And unfortunately, everything they've tried since then hasn't worked as a mass market for mass market acceptance. You know, things like SACD, uh, DVD audio, HD DVD, even Blu-ray hasn't been that big a success. Um, you know, 1080p's done well, obviously. Um, there's been plenty of, you know, everyone now buys high-definition de- high TVs. But, you know, margins get squeezed so quickly now that they desperately need a new product in order to get some margin back. And um, 3D, as Phil's just mentioned, has not been a success uh, and hasn't been that, you know, hasn't brought them any additional margin. So they desperately need something else. And I, and I do think that something like 4K is a lot easier to sell because it doesn't involve glasses and it's a nice big number. And people no, like... It's nice big numbers. Yeah, people like that. The, the other thing is that um, if you look back to the introduction of HD, it, it was the enthusiast market that drove that to start with. It, it was the market, early adopters, first adopters that went out there and bought HD TVs when there was no HD content. I mean, a lot of it was upscaling, yeah, which is... For years, there was wh- no HD content. Which it? is why the way Sony have implemented the, the VW1000 with this upscaling engine, it's it's that's the way you're going to watch 90% of your material is upscaled. Uh, until we get a new playback system. One thing, I'm not sure whether I want it or not, but it's obviously a, a good opportunity for them if they're going to bring a new playback system in and they're going to bring it in at 4K, and that's to bring Digital Cinema Initiative, Steve, uh, in terms of colour gamut. Um, so it then matches the uh, theatrical release in terms of uh, the colour available, colour yeah, spectrum yeah. available. I mean- if, if you if you can I mean why not I mean it, we've been we've been living with um, you know you know the Rec, Rec 709 is, is is a standard that's currently used for Blu-rays and for high definition TV it's it's very 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 similar to the standard that's used for PAL but you know if you've got the capability to deliver a wider color gamut as 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 you say as, as they're using in the cinema then let's do it because the displays can handle it so um, that that would be um, that would be a nice addition I think if you're going to have you know imagine having a 4K DCI source at home how, how cool would that look and and of course you know 4k it's a huge file anyway so it's to me it's not going to make that much difference if adding in um no, no. the 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 bit processing that you need for the much wider color gamut if, if they're going to be adding in 
um, all that information onto a playback system. There's nothing stopping them up in the bit rate so we can get DCI at home. And if you have um, the other thing, I think it's not going to affect some kind of 4K content, is that's going to kill uh, any any prospect of downloading in the near future because, you know, it takes long enough as it is to download, a, you know, a couple hundred megabytes, never mind a gigantic 4K file. Even if it is compressed to a degree, it's still going to be huge, isn't it? Well, the, well, a good example four of that. Four times was, the Blu-ray, I suppose, is like 200, 200 gig. Is that basically what we're looking at? At least. At least that. I mean, it, you made a good point there about downloading and uploading. Uh, we just uh, did a video uh, last week and you shot some stuff on, on uh, one of the cameras and had to upload the footage for me. And I think it was 30 minutes of footage. It came in at about 2.2 gig yeah. in size. And yeah. it was it was 1920, No, it wasn't. It was... 12, 8, oh, 7, so, 20. Oh, 7, 20, 50 hertz. Yeah. Um, and that took... 14 eight, hours. 14 hours for it to upload, Jeez. and it took me three hours to download. Um, and we're on average connections, so... I, I admit my connection's not great, to be honest. I'm out on the sticks, and, it, and it's not, not very good. But, yeah, 14 hours to, to upload 2.3 gig. Um, you know, just goes to show how far away we are from any realistic download service for those kind of large files uh, even blu-ray you know, it's not you can't do it yet uh, and if we're talking going to 4k then we, you know you could be uh, even with things like bt infinity what's that going to download speed going to be on that 100 megabytes a second now isn't it they're going to they can get to 200 next year i think yeah for the people yeah. that get it yeah for the well that's it for, for the, the people, that people get in the country that get it. yeah yeah exactly so so anyway that's 4k we think that's going to be a big story mark you mentioned google tv um I guess, you know, they tried to launch this last year at CES, round about CES, there was lots of talk about it, and then it went really dead, and uh, yeah, there was all right. kinds think, of to and fro. I think it was unfinished, wasn't it? I think that was a problem, according to, was it uh, Logitech, who made, who made some boxes, but it was just kind of, it was kind of a beta at that stage. Sony implemented uh, version 1.0 in the tellies last year, but it, it didn't really do a lot, but I think they've great hopes for version 2.0, and I think there's strong suggestions that Samsung and LG will have Google, Google TVs on the market next year. Um, so I, I think that'll, I sense that'll be a big story. Um, Panasonic, I'm looking, I mean, I, I'm a big plasma fan, and I think as you guys are too. Um, Panasonic are touting a new, a whole new drive scheme and a new panel, and I believe they're skipping from, um, from 30 to 50. So we'll be seeing VT50, GT50 rather than GT40 as an actual progression. So I don't know. I don't know what significance that has. But uh, is that Mark? Mark, is that involved? Are they going to be using the 30-bit processing they were using on the VX300 on their new range of TVs? And is that what, what you're suggesting? It might be. I don't know. They've not. It, it, nothing's really, nothing's nothing's official yet. But I mean, it's a strong, very strong suggestion. Well, there's a there's a Panasonic employee posting. Um, on, on a certain internet site, uh, who's <laughs> extremely, extremely reliable, uh, and uh, he, he's basically said this is what's going to be. So that that could be quite interesting. Um, hopefully, more of the Coro tech has trickled in. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm watching them with interest. And LG apparently have got some new killer uh, plasma tech to show. So so hopefully that'll uh, that'll be interesting too. Yeah, uh, um, new drive technology on on the Panasonics. Uh, I guess. Um, we better hope that they remember to make sure it works with 50 hertz material. If, as happened last time with the 200, VX200 and then the VT30, um, you know, hopefully the technology that I saw in the VX300 will feed through into the consumer displays because uh, that didn't have any problems with 50 hertz at all. 
yeah, it would be nice to see. And obviously, obviously, thirty-bit processing as well that helps greatly yeah, with colour gradation. The and... Why I didn't have a problem with it? <laughs> yeah, and also the colour gradation was spectacular on that. So if they can deliver that in a consumer display, could be looking at something quite special in the VT50. Okay, so um, that's some of the stuff we're looking forward to CES. Yes, obviously, it's uh, it's one of the largest shows on the planet. Uh, we are trying to do it in such a way that we try and cover all the TV releases and much, much more. Um, we're going to aim to try and do some audio stuff this year, Russell. <laughs> well done. <laughs> <laughs> well, you better tell us what to look for. Oh dear, I better start Googling then, haven't I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give us a wish list. <laughs> you know what, me, me and the interweb. <laughs> That's been that much time on it. Uh, talking about wish lists, um, if you have any suggestions of what you would like us to have a look at while we're out there at CES, or um, 3D, <laughs> <laughs> or if you, uh, <laughs> or if you just want to give us comments on what you think is going to be the big tech this year to be released, uh, there is a CES 2012 forum. It's in the Home Cinema and Tech News forum. It's a subsection of that. Uh, go and have a look in there. There is a couple of. Uh, questions posted that you can get involved in. Uh, we're going to do some competition stuff as well in there uh, as we get closer to the event. And don't forget, we're also going to be posting lots and lots and lots of videos from the show floor as live. So uh, as soon as uh, we finish on the show floor, it's back to the hotel for us, uh, back to the hotel room and editing for the for the next six hours and uploading. Um, you know, it might be held in Las Vegas, Steve, but we don't get to see much of it. More than I will. We get to see the, we get to see the show floor and hotel room and, and occasionally um, the restaurant. That's about it, really. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's one one of those shows. Uh, if nobody's ever done it before, it is massive. It's lots of walking, lots of carrying gear, uh, fighting through crowds. And, and, of course, this year it's during the week, Steve. In the past, it's always been um, the Thursday, Friday, and then the Saturday, Sunday. And the Saturday, Sunday's always been the quieter days. I mean, it's a trade show, so there's no public goes in there. Um, so that's usually the quieter days, but all four days now during the week, which means people aren't going to go home at the weekend. It, it looks like it's going to be busy the whole week. Yeah, I think you're right. Phil. I'm not quite sure why they changed. Maybe that's the reason. Why, maybe that's one of the reasons why they changed it because of the Saturday Sunday effect. But uh, it's going to be a manic four days for us, basically. I think, I think you've got our hearts bleeding now, chaps. Yeah, trust, trust me, it's bloody hard work. <laughs> I've done trade shows and consumer shows and stuff for the last, what, six, seven years, going out and, and covering them for the forums. And I've got to say, CES is the mother of all trade shows. It is yeah. uh, a, a nightmare. There's 30, 40,000 people a day. They are, you know, you're trying to shoot video and they're just pushing past you and shoving in the way. It's a nightmare. Yeah, and, and, and you've got, on top of that, you just got the fact of getting into the country in the first place, haven't you? The first time I landed on a plane in, uh, in Vegas, the, the, the customs man called me forward after a two-hour queue. I stood there, and he goes, he goes uh, what's the purpose of your visit? I was like, yeah, well, you're joking, aren't you? I'll come, <laughs> here to lose, I'll come here to lose some money and see some shows. <laughs> At which point they deported you. <laughs> yes, exactly, yeah, yeah. It's international crime syndicates. <laughs> Anyway, we, we digress. Question, yeah. We're going to have to move on because time is short. But um, like I say, uh, that's coming up in January. And of course, we're heading very quickly into the festive season. So uh, I guess all of us here are going to wish our listeners a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. A very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. <laughs> bah humbug. Bah humbug, Russell. Bah humbug. I'm oh, sure you'll no, get no, some no. speakers in your stockings. 
Oh, oh, oh yes, well, yeah. yeah got big ne- ne- Next month's podcast, definitely full of more speakers, that's for sure. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, we are back again at 21st of January. Um, and like I say, have a Merry Christmas and a great new year. Uh, we've had a, a very busy year. It's going to be busy again next year, but we'll have lots coming up on the podcast. So all I need to do now is thank the guys. Thanks very much. Cheers, Phil. Cheers, Phil. Thanks, Phil. And this is Phil Hinton saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you again soon. The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.